This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host the annual Wake Up Festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. You can also join our free direct access membership program and read transcripts of all of the Insights at the Edge podcasts and search our collection of podcasts with now more than 100 episodes available. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Sylvia Nakash. Sylvia is an award-winning composer, an author, a multi-instrumentalist, and a voice culturist. She's the founding director of the Vox Mundi School, an international project devoted to teaching and preserving indigenous musical traditions, as well as combining music, service, and spiritual practice. Sylvia's significant body of work has been integrated in an innovative curriculum of vocal principles, theories, and applications. With Sounds True, Sylvia has distributed several music titles and has written a brand new book called Free Your Voice, Awaken Your Life Through Singing, which includes over 100 exercises steeped in spiritual tradition and backed by the latest science. Sylvia is also releasing with Sounds True a new music CD called Medicine Melodies, where Sylvia offers a rare and authentic tool for modern listeners to evoke the original purpose of music, to quiet the mind and open us to divine inspiration. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Sylvia and I spoke about melody, tone, and the spiritual dimensions from which music emerges. We also talked about the phenomenon of freeing one's voice versus finding one's voice. And Sylvia was very helpful in showing the way for anyone to begin to free their natural voice. Sylvia and I also spoke about the idea of planet music, and she introduced us to three different tracks from her new CD, Medicine Melodies. Here's my conversation with Sylvia Nakash. Sylvia, in your new book, you talk about sound having an outer, an inner, and a secret dimension. And I'm curious about that, if you could help our listeners understand these three dimensions of sound. Um. Tammy, I'm so happy that you choose the most important part of uh, probably the, the core and the essence of what I'm bringing to, into the world. Um, actually, um, we connect very much with outer sound, like I'm hearing you and you're hearing me, and um, it's, it's a physical experience through our ear. So we, um, to the outer sound, we uh, hear. The, with the inner sound, we feel. Sound make us feel, music make us feel. Um, there is a process there where we, we feel something. And even with the skin, uh, sometimes when we hear something very, very special. So the, the inner sound is about feeling. And the secret sound is a piece that I wanted to connect with this book and I bring it into the teachings, which is a... What happened to us when we, are, we have an experience, a transformational or a very particular vibrational experience, something that happens at the level of consciousness that we don't expect, something that um, could be an insight, could be a memory, uh, is secret, is mysterious, but is being uh, conveyed by the power of sound and music or singing. So this, the, the secret element is the transformation that follows. Mm-hmm. And 
In your work, you've done a tremendous job of collecting songs that have a particular impact on people. You call them medicine melodies. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that and how these three dimensions, outer, inner, and secret, might apply to this idea of medicine melodies. Uh, medicine melodies are um, uh, melodies, of course, and very, very short. Uh, the easiest way to understand the, the configuration will be like a lullaby. So they are repetitive and they are natural. They are very, very like mantras as well from India or from other places. So what happened is that we listen, we hear first with the, with the outer sound, we hear these medicine melodies. They are very easy to resonate with them. So we want to sing it or we want to hum them. Uh, we remember them easily. And there's, we, we feel a sense of um, belonging because they're simple that we don't have to think too much they and they they probably open the heart of something that needed to be opened and then uh, what happened is that we start listening new medicine melodies like so, we are the medicine melodies bring some kind of a quality of relaxation or contentment that allows for another kind of intervention. We can call it a spiritual or intervention by the divine, but there's something that gets more, there's more space in consciousness, and then we start receiving melodies that we didn't have before. We become more open, more like a vase, that receives music, and that happens in the world of the shaman. The, in, in shamanism, which is the oldest form of music and sound healing in the planet, you know, the shaman is listening to melodies that are dictated by nature. And there is shamans in different parts of the world, and apparently it's proved that they hear the same melody. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's, it's a, there is an element of secret quality or archetypal I would say that happens when because music has its origin in the spiritual realm. Tell me a little bit about your experience working with indigenous shamans and specifically in the receiving of these medicine melodies. Well, um First comes the always the what I'm bringing more and more into this uh, new this uh, forthcoming book, how we create a state of deep listening. Um, if we are agitated or whatever is our state of mind or emotional disposition needs to be more open, more luminous, more relaxed, more expanded. At that point, we are at that, after we get that that space that normally impacts our consciousness. We are not just thinking; we are uh, becoming like a, a sonic uh, antenna, you know, like uh, we are receptors of something. And I start listening. I start listening first to the birds because I'm calm and I am not thinking in anything. I don't have to do anything afterwards. So I'm quiet, I'm listening. I'm listening to the birds, then I listen to the other bird, and then I listen to the wind. Uh, I start thinking that the plant is talking to me or the plant is talking to the birds. My whole makeup becomes more like nature. So I am listening to layers of sound deeper and deeper until a melody comes to me. And that melody is very here and now. I hear that melody at that time probably. There is a reason why that melody comes to me. So I start humming the melody over and over, so repetition, and then I share the melody. And when I share the melody, there there is a sense of transformation happening. When I listen to the melody and I can share, I can offer the melody. You said something interesting, Sylvia, that it's now accepted that 
shamanic practitioners in different parts of the world hear the same melodies. What's the evidence for that? Well, I spend a lot of time uh, uh, researching and um, listening to different cultures of melody from Australia, Siberia, South America, um, the Thailand and those small islands in the Pacific um, Ocean. And then I realized that the melodies are very similar. And when the shaman is doing the healing work or the divination work, you hear exactly the same tonal configuration in uh, the middle of the Amazon and in Australia. And they didn't connect with each other. So what's happening there? Uh, There is something that doesn't belong to anybody, like the ragas. The ragas from India, nobody, nobody composed the ragas. They say, well, they were brought to us by the Gandharvas, which are some kind of Dakinis, you know, celestial beings that fly in the sky. And Tibetan melodies, the mantras, are very similar to the melodies of the Desana Indians in the Amazon. They start always the same way. So must be, we could consider that there is a, an archetype uh, of uh, melodies that if we are open and there is an intention, we might receive. I believe that we don't have to be a shaman specifically to receive those melodies. I want us to listen to a wind chant from your new release, Medicine Melodies. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about that. I mean, presumably the name wind chant, this is a melody that is embedded in the natural element of the wind, or or how do you understand this? Um, There is a movement in that um, that happened when we are singing this melody and originally whatever I am saying it comes from calling the wind it's like an invocation to the wind Um, it's like uh, we will deep listen to the wind the wind start having different sounds and then in the Amazon and in different forests every indigenous traditions will have a different name for the wind, and the wind will be uh, an entity that they um, they live with and they ask questions to, and they might um, have a relationship with it. So the chant, it's a relationship with the wind. Let's take a listen. Wind chant from Medicine Melodies.
It's so beautiful to get to hear your singing voice like that. <laughs> Thank you, Tommy. Is um, now I I remember that in the piece I call Oya. Oya is uh, one of the names for Yansa, which is the the entity of the wind in the Yoruba tradition in Africa. So I grew part-time in Brazil, and I go to Brazil all the time because I have a school there as well. And um, Oya is, is the embodiment in a women's beautiful body of the possibilities and the power of the wind. So in the chant, I'm constantly calling the power of Oya. I'm invoking the power of Oya, Mulier Duar, which is the, the women of the air. And uh, it's very circular. And then I brought uh, my ensemble of uh, four women that are singing uh, like, with the voices are singing like, the, like uh, when the wind circulates very gently and, uh, and makes things grow. So Oya is a, is, an, is a very female, very powerful entity in the Afro-Brazilian tradition as well. So it's an invocation to Oya. It's almost like listening to you, I can imagine that someone with your level of sensitivity could hear melodies in all kinds of things. I mean, this is a melody that came from an invocation with the wind, but that resting in nature, being in nature, taking a walk, that you would hear all kinds of melodies. I'm wondering if you can talk about that. Well, um, like when I was a child, and st still now when, I, when I'm composing music, uh, my mind becomes very animistic, what we used to call, you know, like, animism or we become I, I believe that I can talk to the moon and the moon becomes uh, a, a source of information uh, what I'm bringing to the book as well and to the, my teachings uh, with all the students I see is that music is a form of divination so you are you can call you can receive information so if you listen deeply Constantly, I receive melodies that come sometimes from the being in connection with the sun. Lots of people experience when they are under the sun that they have that sense of of that light of the direct light of the sun might bring some kind of inspiration. If I'm a musician, the inspiration will come uh, probably as a melody, as a small melody that, as much as I I, w I kind of receive through my whole body and mind and spirit, it becomes a medicine melody. So that's the, the piece that we call intentional or how do we offer them the music we hear. I hear music all the time. I hear music when I dream. I hear music um, when I drive. I hear music when I am sometimes in silence. And I ask the music to give me a break because I want silence, right? So, um, but yes, I think it's come from a very, very engaged and integrative uh, connection with nature that I had all my life. Now, you used an interesting word that you find this kind of listening and tuning in and then the singing of a melody, a type of quote-unquote divination. What did you mean by using that word, divination? Well, um, divination has to be with, um, you know, in divination, your system of beliefs be becomes energy. So you believe that if you request something to this particular plant, this plant will bring what you need. Divination is what we do with the aging. Divination we do with the, um, the Oracle of Rama. So you, are, you have a question and you make a request to obtain information from another dimension. These, in a way, um, help us to believe in something that we don't necessarily see. And I notice that, in a way, also, 
um, gives more power, more strength, more force to our spiritual life, to our capacity to be devotional. So if we think about music as a process of divination, um, it's kind of liberating to think that I am going to be quiet, I'm going to enter in the dimension of just listening, and I might receive information from other dimensions. I might ask information from the goddess of uh, music, Saraswati, and Saraswati responds to me with a very beautiful, watery melody. Or I might ask information to the mother of all the plants in the middle of the Amazon, uh, called Yahe. So I ask information to these plants and I say how I can help this person that um, is asking me for uh, some kind of um, emotional relief. So it's really, divination is about a request. And the request has to be with obtaining information from dimensions that we not necessarily see. Mm-hmm. The unseen. Mm-hmm. And then we have to believe, which is a piece that um, we need to work harder sometimes. What, what do we believe? Do I believe what I believe? I, I'm constantly in that inquiry, you know. How much I believe that I believe. And divination helps us to think that music can come from other dimensions, which is true. And it's one of the arts that definitely come from another dimension that is not physical. And that is not about me who is singing or who is playing the piano. It's about how I connect. I'm following you in terms of the music and the melodies coming from what can be experienced as a different dimension. But what's the belief part? I don't get that. The beliefs part. Well, I have to believe that there's other dimensions first besides what I see, the physical. I have to believe that um, there is a tradition um, that talks about deities that fly and bring information. I have to believe, I have to have some information from different traditions, and that puts me in a place of um, different cultures. So I I have to believe that I... Um, I'm not just alone all the time, that there is a spiritual reality in everything I do. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And it seems that in your experience, this is not just a belief, but this is what your experience of being a composer and a singer, this is what your experience has shown you to be the case. Yes. Yes, and I think I became a believer and many people, I think, had the same experience through my, exp- my participation with music. I didn't become a believer going to temples or churches, although I love the architecture. But it was more like um, being infatuated by beauty. And that, but I became a believer when, when I found music and music found me because I can get into that higher state. And I'm more sensitive, I'm more, and I am less of the ego system who I am. I am more, more expanded. Mm-hmm. So I think music makes from all of us believers if we listen. One of the very interesting notes that I took from your new book, Free Your Voice, Awaken to Life Through Singing, was the idea of committing to devotion, to personal devotion, before we even begin singing, that the act of devotion actually comes first. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that, what you mean by devotion and why it comes first. Well, um, my experience of devotion is it's to feel is is to feel very innocent uh, in and uh, in front of something or in front of someone. Uh, it's like a, it's a kind of uh, awareness. It's a kind of consciousness where I feel safe, I feel free, 
and I feel like Brady protected. And I feel like I want to do it again. <laughs> so the experience of devotion is, is the experience of Maya, the mother holding the baby. Uh, I mean, there is a sense of completion. There is a sense of, I found what I was looking for. I don't have to keep looking anymore. So there's a lot of liberating possibilities in developing personal devotion. And singing is a very easy way to, um, to create an evolving practice of evolution and, and kind of uh, develop. I don't think devotion can be developed. I think devotion is something that cannot be practiced. It's an instant. Devotion happens when you see something that you love and or you hear something that you love. I started feeling devotion when I heard um, music that I am still listening and I, I had exactly the same devotion after 40 years of listening to the same piece. So it's some of, something that you don't want to, um, to think too much about it, but you are, um, you are engaged with absolute and unconditional love. Hmm. And hmm. nobody told you about it. Nobody teach you to do it. It's, it's your own personal experience. I met my teacher um, when I arrived here in February of 1982. Is that right? Yeah, 1982. I arrived in Marin County. I found Ali Akbar Khan. It was an instant picture. It was like taking a picture. And I knew that I would be there until the last day of the last breath of his life. And I was there all the time for 27 years. And I, every day, every time I was at the feet of this amazing musician, I was feeling exactly the same humble, innocent, creative experience. I'm curious what it was about meeting Ali Akbar Khan that generated that kind of devotion in you. What was it that you felt or saw in him? Well, actually, it was what he saw in me. Immediately, immediately he saw the treasure, something that I could develop. And he gave me all the possibilities for me to stay at the school as much as I could for hours and hours a week in the beginning. And experience the music from the food, because he taught me how to cook, from, uh, you know, ironing his kurtas, from um, making me sing and cry sometimes because I couldn't do it right. It's just a sense of being so known by someone. From he, he caught my nature like nobody in this planet. Nobody. Nobody that, uh, because it was all about bringing the best of my music and my voice. It was not about being my husband or being my, you know, different relationships or, or students or it was, it's, it's not even a teacher. It was beyond. It was like seeing my nature, my, my musical nature and bringing it out. Sometimes very painfully, you know. I remember one time I said, I'm not coming back because it was so painful. And then I came back and I, I heard exactly what I, every time I am, I am in this, in his present, I would hear, feel exactly what I needed. So that's my experience with Ali Akbar Khan and the ragas, because what he taught me were the ragas, but not just the ragas, but the spiritual quality of music. Something that I studied music before uh, I, I went to the school, of course, for years, Went to, went to classical music schools, conservatories, singing operas. But something that I discovered was that the music can be your mother, the good mother that you always wanted to have inside, that will protect you when you're in an airport, that will protect you when you, are, when you have fear. Uh, music became uh, a family for me. Well, you know, it's interesting. One of the points that you make in Free Your Voice that I thought was so important was that our ears are the first organ 
to develop when we're in the womb. And you write that the fetal ear is the organ of primal bonding. And I took careful note of this. And even as you're talking about this experience of music as the mother, I'm wondering if you can bring this together for us of how our sense of hearing and listening is our first sense to develop and how music can be like a mother for us. Um, when we hear the breath of our mother in a, and we are inside the womb, um, there's something that is, feels that we are, I mean, of course, we still don't have a brain that thinks, right? But there is a vibration. There is a, there is a vibration. There is, there is it's a, it's a whole vibrational experience that we have that is very pleasant, is very comforting, is very enjoyable. If you think about the way that we move inside the womb, it's very it's very natural. So what I when I mean that then then we start listening more more layers and more layers and then we start listening with um, other organs. Um, our first organ of for listening is our skin. Uh, if you can feel that when we have good spawns in a symphony hall, you know, suddenly the music is... So there's something about the music being a holistic experience, a complete experience through the breath of the mother. And then when we listen to music, maybe what happens is that we are still listening to the breath of the mother. Because it's the very, very first music we heard. And we can, I'm sure that, that, that our, our brain, I mean, I'm not a scientist in that level, although I'm reading a lot about it, but I'm sure that there is a, a, it's a print, a memory print of the breath of the mother in our breath, in our brain. So, um, there, I would think, I, I just, it's the first time that I think this, that the music can be, I mean, just talking to you and you're, you, you're so amazingly inspiring, Tammy, when you, um, you're so involved that suddenly I'm, I'm seeing something, I'm saying something I never said before, like music is like your mother, like your best mother. <laughs> and I think it has to be with the vibration the the right when you hear the right vibration through music probably remind us that sense of unconditional comfort and love that we hear inside now we are listen we are hearing uh, i think we are still not listening when we are in, inside the womb cuz listening comes from from a fu- from is a function of consciousness Listening is we choose what to listen, but here we hear everything that sometimes we don't choose to. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. If you're interested in listening to previous episodes of Insights at the Edge, they're all available for free in a searchable database as part of our new direct access membership program. For more information, please visit soundstrue.com forward slash direct access. And now back to Insights at the Edge. I want to circle back just another moment, if you will, to this idea of starting with devotion. And the reason that I'm so interested in this is that I'm imagining someone who says, you know, I've never met a teacher. I never, I've never had an experience like meeting a music teacher like Ali Akbar Khan. And yet, according to Sylvia, if I start with devotion, then the singing will come naturally. The voice will come naturally. So what would be your suggestion to somebody who wants to tune to this kind of devotion but doesn't have a ready experience? Where do they start? Well, this is a great question because I thought, I have, I, I thought about it. 
and uh, my whole uh, probably vision, mission, what I'm bringing to the world now is what do we do if we don't have that kind of um, external source of devotion, right? Well, I realized by doing it for many, many, many years that they're singing devotional music brings you into that space. So I start collecting uh, archiving lots of devotional music from different cultures and um, and singing it in very particular way again the most important piece is what I call the pre-assessment which is how we create the space for us to listen how we are really only in the in the experience of sound and music uh, single-pointed attention, and this comes from our experience in meditation, right? So we are listening, and then I am he- I am sharing with you a devotional chant, and the way I'm sharing it with you, call and response, and bringing, I'm sharing my my passion, my devotion, my um, spiritual energy with this chant with you. So I'm not just uh, sharing the the music, I am uh, also transmitting the quality of devotion mm-hmm. within music. So it has to be what we call rep- repertoire development in music. Sometimes we have the devotion, we feel it, we love music, but maybe we were trying to sing very complicated tunes and then we got lost in the, in the way of trying to do it, which is another functioning. But what happened if I transmit? In that is a tra- is in, in, there is an immediate, in, uh, uh, instant transmission. We are transmitting um, the devotional awareness quality light within the music in a very simple uh, experience of participation. It happened also in the Sufis uh, ceremonies. There is a transmission, you know, <sighs> and then at some point, you know, there's we are all we are all singing the name. So repetition is an important piece of that experience. Uh, finding the the particular music that comes already charged with that loving quality. And when we transmit, when we participate, we feel that we are equal, we are sharing something together. It's not that I'm teaching you something new. It's, a, it's an experience of immediate, immediate transmission. Sylvia, let's listen to a track from Medicine Melodies, That's a devotional song. This is the song Resa. Sylvia, do you want to introduce it for our listeners? Okay. Um, This song is a prayer. Uh, Resa means prayer. Again, Afro-Brazilian tradition where I grew up and I always come back. And um, we are calling the um, in the qualities of... uh, all the origins, but particularly messengers of suchness and destiny, and particularly the healer. There is someone that needs um, comfort and healing, and we are calling in the morning, we are calling this this orisha, this entity, um, called Omolu or Obalwae. And we are asking for his nectar uh, of deathlessness, to help people that are ill. Let's listen. Oh, 
Sylvia, you have such an interesting sonic aesthetic. <laughs> I was I was listening after a long time. I didn't listen to this piece, and I realized that um, originally, um, it, usually you want to sing a little bit with a more beautiful voice or something. But it, I, I was just in this. I I was. Um, in, engage in such a state of mind that I I just got this dirty voice, you know. It's like it's like doesn't matter what is the voice that is calling, but it's the the true voice. So it's interesting because uh, in this piece, I when I hear it back uh, as a listener, uh, I hear my my true voice, almost a voice that I'm speaking with you, a speech voice no effort, and at the same time, I hear also the, the, the film music that I, um, I mean, I, I, my background is in uh, composing music for films, so you always can, he- I can see always the, the picture behind the voice. Mm-hmm. You talked some about what you called the spiritual reality of music, the spiritual dimension of music. And we've talked a little bit about melody. And in your book, Free Your Voice, you talk also about tone. And you quote from the work of Rudolf Steiner about tone as a spiritual reality. I wonder if you can speak some to that. For me, it was, um, was a very good encounter uh, when I started uh, reading Rudolf Steiner because it allowed me to, uh, to balance uh, my very strong connection with Eastern music through Indian music and my very strong connection with Western classical as well. So uh, for Rudolf Steiner, tone is a spiritual reality. That means that there is always um, a connection that we make with, with tone that brings us to another dimension. He says exactly like uh, music has always held a special position among the arts because music is the only art form whose archetypal origin is in the spiritual rather than in the physical world, like architecture or sculpture or painting. So music 
uh, we are hearing music when we are, he said, we hear the mu music with the soul. And then there are other um, points where we can, when we, when we allow ourselves to understand and express, produce, tone, with all our consciousness just in the experience of tone, the tone becomes an event that calls for another tone and then another tone. And then you become part of a relationship of tones. So tone calls for another tone and becomes a force that actually creates a musical event. And everything is happening because you are listening and the music is dictated, dictated to you by other dimension that is not physical. Think about Beethoven, right? Which is our closest way to understand that music is not, you don't ne necessarily have to hear music to feel music. So um, Rudolf Steiner had a lot of students that were opera singers. And um, he thought that tone is, in, we hear tone with our etheric body. And uh -huh. the, the, the experience of tone is uh, it's an experience of the etheric kind. Um, there is no difference between that and the experience of the ragas in India, in Indian music. The ragas are spiritual entities received by a musician that is in that state of of uh, openness to receive. So who composed the ragas? Nobody that we know, except for some ragas composed by composers. But the whole point here is that we are open to sing a tone that will immediately bring us to another kind of dimension or experience that is not physical anymore. We can consider it just physical tone, but, um, but tone also can be an, a spiritual event. Mm -hmm. Is that? Yeah, that is. That's helpful. And I think it goes along with one of the central themes, I think, of your new book, which is that it's about freeing the voice, not finding the voice. We're not putting something in place that's not there. And I wonder if you can talk about that, why you emphasize freeing versus finding one's voice. You're amazing. You got all the most important points that I wanted to make with the book. It's your very, very, you're a great listener, Tammy. Um, of course, I, uh, as a voice person, and uh, I receive people all the time, or I see books or things that finding your voice and I had a, a kind of a strange reaction in my skin when I hear that so I said why this is not com this doesn't feel good to me well finding your voice is based on the idea that you don't have a voice and so many times in our life as people or or people that want to sing or singers or opera masters we always found one time someone told us not to sing or that we don't sing well or that we don't have a voice or we don't or we can't carry a tune right you hear that all the time so it all comes from the idea that you can find something that is lost but he, but the voice is 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 muscle and breath and it just need to be open like when uh when i am doing an asana in yoga and then I feel like my chest got open and my, um, my spine is more aligned. The same happened with the voice. The voice need the, 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 if I talk about the voice, the next experience that I want to have is openness. The voice wants, needs, requests, to be open because it's an, 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 an experience practiced because it's a muscle. And then you have the, the breath that need, constantly needs to flow. 
and we, we need to control the breath in different forms. So if we approach the voice as an instrument that we can clean and open and tune and, and retune and practice, so the voice has nothing to be with me. And that's where I want to get. I want to work with my voice like a musical instrument. And that sometimes, for people, takes a few months to realize that the voice is a musical instrument given to us, you know, birthright from the beginning, pure and beautiful, and we just need to understand that everything we put in the voice is personal, and the voice is not personal. Now, what about the person who has the experience that their musical instrument is just permanently badly tuned? <laughs> so we thought about that too. <laughs> okay, so we I discovered this instrument from India that, um, you know, I, w I probably was a researcher in another life as well. So I, I, I had to figure out how to help people that think that way, that they cannot sing, that the voice is broken. And some voices, you know, they have physical um, impediments, actually. So I found this, this incredible instrument from India called the Shruti box, which is just like a little um, accordion that you just need to open and close, like a diaphragm, that originally was used in India to tune flutes. So the flute player would play the flute with his hands or her hands, and they would play this instrument with the feet. And the instrument would play like an accordion, you know, open and close, open and close, and you get the same long tone. So here in that long tone, they were tuning the flutes. So I say, well, this is great. Everybody can play this instrument and they can tune their voice. The instrument gives you just a beautiful kind of church um, harmonium uh, lone tone. We call it the, thro the, the throne of the voice. And then the voice can have as much time as possible becoming one with that tone. So the experience is an experience of becoming one with what you hear. And because the tone is so beautiful of these Shruti boxes that I found, so you want to continue tuning until your sound disappears with the sound of the, of the instrument and becomes one. You don't know who is singing. This, the instrument and you are in tune. So that's the practice that we do. I ask uh, people to try to get that instrument or we try to put it into a um, digital form if we have to. And then uh, just to align your sound to what you are hearing outside. And it's just the same, the same sound. And sustain your attention, which is very important. What about people who are tone deaf? You know, I'm just tone deaf. I have a Shruti box, and, you know, I think we're on the same, me and the Shruti box sound like one to me, but other people are like, oh, my God. Um, in that case, uh, the, the idea is that I, I have this little instrument that is helping me, becomes uh, part of my breath. Um, I am playing it, uh, and I bring my attention to listen and produce the same sound that I am listening. And the whole magic happens when someone is in front of you helping you for a while, and then you practice at home as much as possible to sound like the instrument is sounding. So the, the element, the ingredient here is sing what you listen and try to spend as much time as possible singing the same. Over and over, sustain, sustain, long, and just stay there until there's a moment that you are singing exactly what you hear, and then you're listening. 
And that's the magic. So you have to spend more time than you think that you can spend. So usually it's you have to give yourself more time. Mm-hmm. But you don't think anybody's a lost case? I don't think so. I had a couple of them in my life, and I spent with one friend that hopefully will hear this this this, this wonderful conversation we have, and he will remember we spent five hours, and then he tuned it up. He tuned. And when he tuned, he started crying. I mean, this is a very, very, very well-known psychologist. And then suddenly he tuned, and then he started crying because he found human resonance. You know, that the vibration that he was, he was really searching for so long. You know, sometimes, Tommy, we don't give enough time to things we want to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm so happy to hear you say this because I spoke to our book editor here at Sounds True after I spent some time with your new book, Free Your Voice. And I said, I really love this book. And she said, I do too. It's made me want to sing. And I said, you know, it's made me want to sing too. And yet at the same time, I can feel an empathy with your friend, the psychologist, and think I might be a little bit of a tough nut to crack. But yet I'm inspired to get a Shruti box and bring your book, Free Your Voice, into my meditation room and start experimenting and looking for that breakthrough moment. I insisted that the last words of the book will be to uh, to do the practices of the book. The book has 108 practices at least, and many practices that come from those practices. So we 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 make sure that uh, we offer some very simple points of entry for people to start. And um, then the idea is sometimes you have to give people points of exit because they don't want to stop. That's the whole point of the voice. The voice is prana. It's, it's, it's like a waterfall. You, you, when, you, when you trigger the voice with beautiful sounds and simple long tones and the mind is listening, so you don't want to stop. And that was my experience when I started singing this kind of contemplative music. But I wanted to finish the book with this idea that uh, be be open and aware to the transformation that follows that experience because you want to do it again. And if you switch too fast and you, are, you, don't, you didn't give a few minutes to secret sound, right? What is the transformation that follows? Why do I feel good? You know, we we ask people to do some journaling. At the end of a session, we say, hey, how are we feeling? Something that gives room for us to listen to whatever was transformed inside. And that's, that's the secret sound. I think the secret sound is the key for us to continue doing something we want to do. Mm-hmm. And this is something I didn't learn through music. This is completely um, extra musical information. I got this information through um, Tibetan uh, practices of meditation and sound. The idea that when we tune into that empty space after we've tuned ourselves to the moment, that there's something special to be received in that space? Yes, and you don't have even to think about it. You just have to keep listening to what happened after. It's like the sound of a tambura. The most beautiful part of the sound of the tambura is after you play, after you plug it. After you play, you have this extra vibration that is still playing, the same like a good shruti box or a good instrument. The most expensive instruments in the planet are those instruments that you can hear after you play it. Mm-hmm. They have resonance. That's beautiful. And there is a, there is a resonance that we hear in our mind. There is a groove, something that is still groups after we sang, after we play. And that is the peace, the mother, <laughs> that continues protecting our musical life. Beautiful. 
I want to end, Sylvia, with a traditional dedication prayer from your new CD, Medicine Melodies. It's called Tvameva Mata. But before we do, I want to ask you one final question, which (laughs) is you introduced this idea of planet music. (laughs) And before we end our conversation, I want to make sure that you take me to planet music. Where is it? Take me there. And now or after this song? Right now. Okay. 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 I, I, I wish I could tell you exactly because it really changed my life when I realized that this is what I was telling you before, that the last part of the book was very transformative for me too, okay? After the book, I really wanted to have this idea of what I felt making the book, right? Creating the book. And what I, the, the, the piece that triggered this was a movie. I am a movie goer person. I, I go to movies that are good all the time. And, uh, and I listen to the music as well of movies. Uh, so I went to see this movie, which I can't really tell you exactly the name because all my cultures get a little bit com- a little bit um, conflicted when I'm trying to pronounce, but you will help me to pronounce this properly. Is that okay? Sure. The name of the movie was Melancholy. Melancholy. Exactly. Melancholy. Uh, we, I, we say in other languages, melancholia. So I went to see this movie, and it was about a woman that her depression became a planet. And it was a planet that was coming, coming to... Um, to actually bigger than the Earth, and what, what would happen when a, when a planet bigger than the Earth is coming in. And I, at that moment, I had this insight, this secret sound insight. Well, what happened if we realize that music has all the conditions to be a planet that can easily, easily become all, take all the room, all the functioning of our brain and our mind. And if we are completely in the dimension of music, like meditation, completely in the dimension of music, we don't have any more personal conditioning. Because music will make us, will, will involve and engage every functioning, every, every aspect of our mind, our body, our spirit, and probably, as is now very clear to all this new research, music engages every part, almost the whole brain. So in that idea of more than the whole, I thought, well, I've been creating, being, participating in music as a planet. And if music is if we participate in that way, a planet that comes to us, we music can be really a spiritual liberation. That means that there's no more personal conditions. Sylvia, you did it. You took me to planet music. Thank you. <laughs> and now we'll end our conversation with this traditional dedication prayer from Medicine Melodies. Let's listen.
And that's from a new CD by Sylvia Nakash called Medicine Melodies. I've been speaking with Sylvia about Medicine Melodies and about her new book, her first book. It includes 108 exercises to free your voice. The book is called Free Your Voice, Awaken to Life Through Singing. And it's a very comprehensive, brilliant, and inspiring book that truly makes you want to sing and explore the depths, the silence, and the secret dimension of singing, as well as the joy, beauty, and fulfillment of singing. Sylvia, it's been so great to talk to you. It's been a delightful experience to talk to you, Tammy. I feel very, very comfortable, and um, your questions were right to the point, and it's wonderful to collaborate with Sounds True. Wonderful. Soundstreet.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening. 